Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A candy-colored clown they call the Sandman. Five, four, three to one. It's a big, wide, wonderful world of DJ Franklin D across the nation. You're going to put me to shame now, Frank. That, that was well, a surprise. Good. Start off right away with when a surprise. Frank met his match. When Frank met his match. When Jayanne met her match. Uh, then I drift away into the magic night. I saw. My mother uh, was a leading light in my life and she was hard walking. Uh, that's the one thing. She went out and she loved to walk and bring in whatever she could for our children. Then I fall asleep to dream my dreams of you. I would say I was married to draw the force and form from a very early age. So I was a man of the people, more or less, at, at, at that time, and people were saying that, and I couldn't believe like they were taking me serious. To you, in uh, it was a great day. The headlines was something like, uh, from top of the pops to top of the polls, uh, Franklin D, Frank Godfrey elected. So oh, it was a wonderful feeling. Those are the words of Frank Godfrey, one of the most well-known local politicians in Louth. From top of the pops to top of the polls, it's fair to say that Frank Godfrey has led an interesting life. Throughout my time with him, I learned a lot about the real Frank, the man behind the headlines. He's met and spent time with some of the most famous people in the world. Mother Teresa, Bill Clinton, Roy Orbison, Prince Charles and the Pope. These are just a handful of people he's met over the years. Was this good luck or coincidence? I don't think so. What I learned about Frank during my time with him is that he's a man with a purpose and a vision. Someone who sets his sights and his goals and doesn't stop until they become a reality. One thing that's clear about Frank is his unwavering devotion and love for Drogheda. Dubbed the man of the people, Frank spent his entire career working on behalf of Drogheda. From developing projects, organising protests and doing what he does best, generating publicity, I think it's fair to say that Frank has truly left his mark on the town. Over the next hour, listen as Frank takes you on a journey down memory lane from the swinging 60s to the present day. From top of the pops to top of the poles, this is his story, in his words. 
Take it away, Frank Godfrey. I've had a love affair with Rod over the years, and Rod is everything to me. You're right, uh, it's everything to me. I think that morning, if my memory served me right, uh, I didn't get up until 12 o'clock, and somebody said, you better get down to the polling station and find out how, how you're getting on. So before I got to the polling station, somebody said, you're already in. And I said, how could I be in, sure? It's only 12 o'clock in the day. He said, I should, wouldn't have been accountable. Oh, he said, it's all Godfrey, Godfrey, Godfrey. He said, eh, down in King Street, that's the, the school there, eh, the college, that's where the count was. Eh, so it was a great moment, and I, I'll never forget it. It was a wonderful feeling eh, to be elected ahead of 29 candidates, and a lot of them were very well known and mayors of the town. Eh, so it was a wake-up call, and I, I, that's why... I actually got involved with politics. That's why I got involved so so many projects and protests and all of that because we did. I thought rather did need awakening up. Starting to take notice of Frank Audrey. So, uh, I, I, and then the national papers, and then after I got elected, I wanted to be the president of Ireland. So, the Sunday Press had a whole back page that a disc jockey by the name of Frank Godfrey wanted to be the president. So, this made big news as well. And I, I didn't think a lot of the present president at that time. I thought he could be doing a lot more, he could be out there and about. So I was a man of the people more or less at, at that time and people were saying that and I couldn't believe like they were taking me serious uh, because being a disc jockey wasn't easily to be taken uh, serious. As DJ Franklin D, Frank performed in ballrooms, pubs and clubs all over the northeast. And it was through his work that he was introduced to some of the most well-known musicians and performers that ever came to Drogheda. The number of uh, stars that came to Drogheda, and particularly the Abbey Ballroom, which had one of the finest uh, floors in the country, born in 1967 or thereabouts, uh, which was a terrible loss, the Abbey Ballroom and the Abbey, Abbey Cinema. It used to hold about 2,000, and all the big bands, uh, Dickie Rock and the Miami, uh, the Dixies, um, the Freshmen... Uh, so many bands uh, that played there, um, and it was a great venue. It was badly, it was sadly that we lost the Abbey Ballroom. I remember uh, when I used to play in Dublin, and particularly in Good Time Charlie's in O'Connell Street, and uh, I used to dress up with a machine, had a machine gun, big boots on me, black boots on me, a long coat and a hat on me. And I remember I formed a train one time and to the song. And before the song finished, I was out onto O'Connell Street and back in with about 20 or 30 people uh, behind me. Uh, and we all waving and roaring and all the rest. But the, the, the DJs in Dublin weren't too happy with me. And they set up a union to keep out culture DJs, as they referred to me as... And uh, they tried to get me out of, of the Dublin scene, but they didn't stop me because I still got bookings in uh, Dublin. I love to play in, in Dublin and got lots of parties and all that. But some of the big places around the Ashland Ballroom in Claughhead in the, in the 70s and the um, Beachmount in Navan, 
I remember uh, the, the place used to be absolutely jammed. They came from everywhere. The Pavilion in Skerries was another place I played. And Black Rock in, in Dundalk uh, was another great venue for all the big groups and all the bands. But this, the place was alive. Thousands of people used... They used to queue outside... Uh, for the dancers and the ladies' choices, the women one side of the hall and the men the other side of the, uh, the hall, and Franklin D up on the stage jumping about. So I had a great time. I thought I was a pop star in my own right. And Dave D, I, I loved him. Um, he had a hit record called Hold Tight. Dave D, Peaky Mick and Titch, they were a great uh, uh, group. But the names and the Walker brothers, Scott Walker, they were amazing. There'd be never anything like the 60s again. I know the young people have their music today and all the rest, but I think the 60s was the greatest. Not because I was part of that scene and I was delighted to be as a, as, as a DJ and uh, I have great memories. So tell me the night, it seems like you got maybe Phil Linnett out of a bind. Oh yeah, I remember Kuhn um, in uh, Shop Street one night, we used to fill in it in Drada and he played a couple of times, a couple of gigs in John Street uh, where Sergeant Peppers was the nightclub my friends started up uh, and Phil was an amazing character um, and uh, I remember Brush Shields Skid Row as well but Phil Linnett, um we went for a bag of chips and I bought him uh, a bag of chips we had a queue up outside the Genoa Genoa was famous for its chips still is to this day I, I, I'm not saying he had no money. I don't think I don't think he had very much at the time. Phil in it was just filled in it. Uh, he wouldn't have been that well known other than that he had a good voice. He was only really starting off at the time. So um I had the privilege and honour of buying him a bag of chips and he In got, the Genoa. He he got stuck into them. Yeah. Oh that's <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, did, yeah. And there's many people was there that night and they re- re- recall it rather than me I, he was a great a- a artist and um, the people just absolutely loved him he was full of life and he was a great performer the girl's a fool she broke the rules she heard a lie this time he will break down she's lost this trust and so she bust all this lost the system has And of course, he had big hits later on. We never knew that he was going to be as big as he was. He did turn out to be. My memories of Phil uh, will go on for many years to come. I heard a rumour now. You might be able to tell me if it's true or not. But you obviously talked about a lot of big stars coming to to Drogheda and the ballroom and, and everything. But is it true that Roy Orbison came to Drogheda and stayed in Pierce Park. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And I introduced Roy Orbison. Uh, I forgot all about it. He was my hero, only the lonely in dreams and pretty woman. He was something as... I believe he never got the due recognition he should have, although Elvis said that he was uh, the best singer of all time. But Roy Orbison had a very unique uh, voice, 
And I recall Roy Orbison in Pierre Park myself uh, at the big car pulling up. I didn't know who he was and it was only afterwards we had heard a lot of stuff. Big stars came to the Hand household and that was Jim and Michael Hand. Both of them were twin. They were twins. Uh, one was the, eventually the editor of the uh, Sunday t- um, Press and or he was a journalist and a very good journalist. Uh, but uh, Jim was the big band promoter. But Jim had all the big acts that came from the UK and from America. And Roy Orbison seemed to have a love affair with Ireland and he loved performing in Ireland. And I remember that night in the in the, in the, he was here in the, the the White Horse Hotel as it was known on two occasions. It was known as the Palm Court as well, uh, and the hands used to bring Jim Hand used to bring him to Drada, and I looked everywhere to get a photograph of uh, Roy Orbison, uh, somebody with a camera and. Nobody had a camera in those days. Nobody had cameras. Would you believe it? You talk about mobile phones and everything like that, and it was an opportunity. One of the pictures that I would have treasured and loved to have because he was to me the greatest singer of all, and I just loved uh, Roy Orbison. And was he and incredible was, seeing him live? Yes. Yeah, he didn't say a lot. He was very, very quiet because you were always suspicious looking at him with his dark glasses and you wouldn't know what he'd be, he, what he'd be thinking or what he was. But um, he was a sort of a very, very quiet fella. He just got on stage and immediately he started... Your baby, Your baby doesn't, doesn't love, you love you anymore. anymore. You know, he, he brought tears to people's eyes and, uh, you know, he set the scene there for a great night's entertainment. Golden days before the end Whisper secrets to the As well as being a popular DJ, Frank also became the manager of one of the most recognisable Irish stars, Johnny Logan. Uh, Johnny Logan's father owned the place, it was Patrick O'Hagan's uh, pub, and they were practising there, and I thought they weren't bad, and they were saying that they were looking for a manager. Shai said, I'll manage you. And so I did manage him, and Johnny Logan was the, the singer. He's known as Sean Sherrod at him. His father was from Australia, Patrick O'Hagan. They were amazing people, and they loved Drada. So Sean and, and now Johnny Logan, Eurovision Song Contest winner on a number of occasions, became one of the famous singers in the world. I couldn't believe that I was actually the manager of that. And I was very proud of him, and I'm very proud to be just part of uh, uh, that uh, Johnny Logan's uh, little achievements. I remember one time taking him down to Oma in County Tyrone in Northern Ireland, and um, I was uh, playing the disco first, and uh, they were second uh, on, and uh, we knew there was a mixed crowd, and they wanted a national anthem from some of them at the end, and they said, it's up to the manager, Frank, whatever he says. So I said, no, it's, it's, it's dicey enough, this place. I think we, we, we won't play the night. And yet, they, then they started stamping their feet, they want a national anthem, so we had to play it. <laughs> and then we went out, rubber bullets, and there was nothing but riots outside. How we got out of that place alive that night, I never know. But Johnny Logan was in the middle of all that. During our conversation, we spoke about the number of well-known people Frank had met over the years. And he described to me a vision journal he kept by his bedside at night. In it, he would write down his goals and aspirations and things he wanted to achieve 
and tick them off one by one when they happened. The most important thing getting out of bed in the morning is a new day and what I can achieve that day. You know, uh, I look at every day as a day that I have to do something and when I reflect and look back before I uh, um, go to sleep that I have actually done something. So that's the way I have been over the years. And when I wanted to meet world leaders or I wanted to visit um, the medical missionaries of Mary in Uganda and Tanzania and Kenya, um, I would put a note in my drawer and I'd say, I'm going to visit the medical missionary. I'm going to visit Mother Teresa. I'm going to visit Nelson Mandela. I'm going to meet the President of the United States. So uh, I'd put the two or three names in the drawer. So I keep looking at that and I say, well, I'd mark off who I met or what I've done. One of the most important people in Frank's life was his mother, who he describes as the leading light of his life. I have a lot of memories of my mother, so she was inspirational, you know, and she was she was tough. She was a tough uh, cookie, and um, uh, she always had a big smile on her face, despite she had a tough time at the end. She died of cancer, uh, and so um, I have a lot of great memories of my mother. You couldn't have had a better mother, and... Uh, when she was meeting Mother Teresa, um, uh, she couldn't believe it. I told her to get her hair done, that she was meeting somebody special in Dublin. So she didn't know who she was meeting or where she was going that, that day. And so when we arrived at the North Avenue in Dublin, where the missionaries of charity from Calcutta have their house, um, I uh, told her to knock the, 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 the door, and she knocked the door. Des Clinton, the famous Drada photographer, was and when um, she uh, opened the door, or when the door was open, I should say, who opened the door? Only Mother Teresa herself. I mean, Mother nearly fell through the ground, <laughs> and she invited us in, and we had a long chat. I'd say that probably was our greatest moment in life when she opened that door and saw Mother Teresa. You met Mother Teresa a couple of times, but the first time you met her was, was was quite memorable when she invited you for dinner. My memory of all of that was um, there were baby bananas on the table and there was buns, small little buns around the table. I was actually very hungry and I was looking forward to something substantial uh, to eat. And however, it was something better than nothing, and I was next to Mother Teresa, and uh, they said grace uh, before meals, and um, uh, the next thing was uh, they started eating the, around them the buns and some bananas. So I, I, I did take my bun, which was to my right, but to the left of Mother Teresa, and I then at the other bun... So I had, I was, I, what I looked at then, I thought, said, oh God, I, I have Mother Teresa's bun. I said, and uh, my God, uh, but uh, she didn't seem to be eating anything. I was only drinking water or whatever. And so, uh, God, uh, as after eating a bun, I can do nothing about that now anyway. And I didn't know whether there was more food on the way around him, but there didn't seem to be any more f- food uh, uh, coming along. So anyway, that story, uh, I did say to somebody back home when I came back to Ireland, 
and uh, the story went around that I ate Mother Teresa's dinner. But it was only oh, a bun. But it was an occasion that I'll never forget. I did invite her to draw that, and I remember um, she said in a letter, which I have in front of me, that one day I hope to go to draw that, and the purpose I had was for her to visit the shrine of St Oliver Plunkett in St Peter's Church on West Street. And she said, I will come, Mayor. Uh, to Drada, she said, when I am that way. So one morning at half past six, a sister Shoba, who later became the leader of the Missionaries of Charity after Mother Teresa's death, rang me and she said, uh, Mayor Godfrey, she said, Mother Teresa will be with you this morning in Drada. She said, but where will the helicopter land? And right away I was stuck. I said, maybe the Lord Stadium or at the hospital there is some place that she could land there so it looked all on and I had a lot of work to do and I hadn't left the phone about three quarters of an hour and the phone rang again and who was it only Sister Shoba and she said Mayor Godfrey she said I'm sorry I've kind of bad news she says Mother Teresa's daughter has advised her just a short time ago she's not greatly well that she wouldn't be able to go to Drada. She was going, I don't know where, uh, whether Sligo or uh, Mayo. She said, I know you're going to be disappointed because you've been a long time trying to get Mother Teresa to Drada. In fact, I had been a long, long time, many, many years. And she said, if it's God's will, she said, Mother Teresa will come to Drada, she said, one day. But I knew uh, when she said that to me that... It would be never, because I knew Mother Teresa's health was deteriorating, and in fact she never made it rather. And but she uh, was obviously very taken with you. And how did you get the opportunity to meet Mother Teresa the the first time? Well, I wrote to her. As I said, I had the, the, the your vision board. My she vision was on board, it. yeah, yes. and she was on my radar. <laughs> and so, Mother Teresa, I wrote to her, and I got a lovely letter back from Mother Teresa. I have several letters from Mother Teresa. No, I saw. And and, and they're all signed by her and all. And she sends her best wishes to the people of Drada, and, she her, did, bl- yeah. and, and her blessings. So, Frank, as we mentioned, you you did a lot of travelling in your time, um, and there's a story that I heard and. It, it gave me the giggles, I have to say. It did make me laugh, and mm. I'm looking forward to, to hearing you, you, you tell it. But you were the last person, I would say, to to actually sit on Padre Pio's bed. Can you tell me that story, how, how it came about? Well, it, it was 1982, to the best of my memory, and we were on an Irish pilgrims, a number of people from Drogheda in San Giovanni, and... Um, we got to the basilica and where Padre Pio resided and uh, people could go in uh, to the room where he actually slept. And um, But somebody said, Frank, um, would you go over there and sit on Padre Pio's bed there and we get a picture of you? So I duly oblige, even though I hate my photograph being taken. I say that in a friendly way. <laughs> but uh, I sat on the bed, and to my amazement, the bed collapsed under me. And, God, the whole place was silence. And next thing, we just didn't know what to do. It was, I was so embarrassed, to say the least. I, don't, I never saw that picture, actually, whoever even took it. Uh, but 
the big uh, pre, uh, the tall priest came in with the beard, I'll never forget him, and he looked at the bed and he said, oh my God, he said, we have to close this place off. So, to the best of my memory, I apologise. I said, uh, I, I was taken back. Uh, I mean, he was a man that people revered all over the world and uh, a saintly figure. Uh, and I, I just didn't even think before I sat in the bed. Nobody was actually, I believe, allowed to sit on the bed. But uh, it just was on the spur of the moment. So we all had to leave. And as I said, I apologise and all of the rest. If there was any cost, I'd settle. But it's fair to say that you, you've left your legacy in Padre Pio's house, Frank, because as far as I'm aware, mm. and from I know people who, who've travelled afterwards, yes, yeah. you actually can't get into the bedroom now. Well, <laughs> I, that is true. It's cordoned I, I, off. I, it's cordoned off. You can only look in over as a sort of a, a rope a cor- uh, uh, at the door and nobody is allowed in ever since that. And it, as I said, it took some time for the whole thing to to set in that and and remember what actually that that did actually happen. Even still, I can't believe it happened today that I actually got sitting on his bed in the fourth place. I just went on the pilgrims. I ended up uh, sitting on his bed for a photograph. The bed collapsed and, and the place being uh, closed off. You had a chance meeting with the great train robber. Ronnie Biggs. Unbelievable, actually. I was on a visit to Brazil um, some years ago and uh, San Paula, and um, we were um, we decided we would go in and get something to eat in this uh, pub. Not far away, uh, there was a gentleman who seemed to be uh, very popular and people wanted to have the photograph taken with him. And uh, we didn't know who he was or what he was, but a lot of tension in that general area. But we continued to talk away anyway. And I called the barman uh, because of what was going on. I said, you don't mind me asking, you say... There's a guy up there, seem to be a lot of people around him, and what's it about? He said, do you not know him? I said, no. I said, I'm from Ireland. I said, I don't. I never saw him before. He said, you know, that's Ronnie Biggs, the great train robber, he said. And uh, he said he's very, very uh, well taken in here. He's well liked here. And everybody, tourists and visitors, get their photograph taken with him and all the rest. So... Strange enough, a short time afterward, he headed towards our, our way and he was talking to other people at the tables and he came to our table and I shook hands with him and uh, introduced me. So he sat down and uh, we had a picture taken with him and he seemed to be very pleasant. But the one thing I, I remember was that he was fascinated about the Irish. He seemed to love the Irish and he talked to me about uh, Ireland and he asked me where I was from and he seemed to be familiar about Drogheda. So uh, he said to me he, that he would love to come to Drogheda. And he, actually, he scribbled a note down because he had heard I was the mayor at, uh, and he wrote a little piece down. And I have that little piece that he wrote still somewhere. And he said he would love to come to Drogheda. So, I God, I said to me, if he comes to Drogheda, that he might be the last person the people of Drogheda might want to see, Ronnie Biggs. But I thought he was such a colourful character and such a nice sort of a gentleman. I don't know what he did back in 1963 in the great London um, uh, train robbery but or what part he had in it. But he seemed to be in exile in Brazil and married a Brazilian lady. And... Amazingly then, for some reason or other, he enjoyed the banter with me and he said to me, would you like to come up to my house, he says, my residence? I said, where is that? So he said, it's in uh, Rio Janeiro. 
And I said, how far away is that, Ronnie? And he said, well, by bus, it'd be probably six hours or so. And I said to the couple of people with me, say, will we go up? And he said, sure, we've nothing to lose. The next day, we'll go up. So we went on the bus and we arrived outside Ronnie's uh, place. This guy came in with a walking stick. He had white trousers, a white jacket on him and a hat. And he was something like out of one of the James Bond films. And he came towards us and he said, are you Mr Godfrey? And I said, I am. He said, you're looking for Ronnie Biggs, are you? I said, I am. We were supposed to meet him here. So are you a friend of his? He said, I am. He'd be with you in five minutes, he said. So five minutes or whatever, in comes the big man. And Ronnie Biggs was a big man. He was a striking figure. He was like John Wayne. And he was dressed well, immaculate actually as well, Ronnie. And he'd plenty of old chat at him. And I'll never forget, he had a book in his hand. And he came up to us and he welcomed us to Rio de Janeiro. And he started talking about his life story and a bit about the train robbery. But of course he wanted to sell us the book. There had to be a catch. Ronnie was with the tourists. He was selling himself. And that's how he survived and I did buy the book off him, but that was a memorable visit uh, with Ronnie Biggs and his friend that day. We couldn't, it was something like out of a film, and you couldn't actually make it up. Yeah, like Ron, so Ronnie Biggs literally yeah. was very taken with you, Frank, with, with Frank Godfrey, and so much so that wanted to travel from Brazil to, to Drada. Drada. Yeah, he was coming to Drada, and he said, I will visit Drada. That was his words, I will visit Drada. I was like, I wonder what sort of reception will he get? Well, I'm looking at a photograph here of you in front yeah. of me. Like, I mean, you look like best buddies. You That that night looks like it was great crack. Uh, he, he, it was a, a memorable <laughs> night that in, in San Paulo and Rio de Janeiro. Thank you very much. First, let me say, Hillary and I have loved our trip to your wonderful country. William Jefferson uh, Clinton, you know, um, meeting him in 2000 in Dundalk was unbelievable and incredible. On that occasion, Bill Clinton was uh, welcomed to County Loud there was a number of dignitaries there and politician, leading politicians from north and south. It's all to do with the peace process. And I had invited Bill Clinton in a letter uh, to come to Drogheda. And um, again, if he was to be in the vicinity, that he would come to Drogheda. But he was, but the invite was for Dundalk. He did pass through Drogheda that night. However, uh, it would have been great if he hadn't stopped uh, and said a few words to some of the locals who were on the Bridge of Peace that night. But I was in Dundalk, and I wasn't on the guest list to meet him. And as mayor, I was very disappointed. And I was with my brother, Maliki, who was a former mayor, Drada, um, and we were looking forward uh, to the visit and see, hopefully of seeing him and um, meeting him, if possible, but... As we were coming close to the end and Bill Clinton was moving about down Clambrassel Street and everybody was nearly heading up and everything was breaking up and uh, heading home, we did notice uh, Bill Clinton was coming down the street 
and holding below, you wouldn't believe what happened. One of the Secret Service men, who was in a white uh, coat, said, Are you the mayor? And I said, I am. And he said, "Where The mayor of where? And I said, I'm the mayor of Drogheda, Sai County Loud, here. Oh, he said, would you like to meet the president? And I couldn't believe it. Like, I mean, there was hundreds of people along, but luckily enough, we were very close to the line on the, along the street. And I said, oh, that would be that would be fantastic, I said. And Maliki had a camera, so I said, Maliki, give me the camera. And I had it in my left hand. I said, there's a chance now so we're going to meet the president. Now, he was on the phone to some of the other Secret Service men. And for, for out of the blue, two or three of them came down to where we were, or where he was, and where we were standing. And next thing, they said, OK, you're, come in, he said. So they opened the, the railing and left me in. And Maliki, my brother, was coming behind me. He said, I'm sorry, only the mayor can come. So when I got in on the street, holding below, as I said, I did see Clinton from a long distance, but here he was nearly not far away from me. I said, this is incredible. I always wanted to meet the President of America. I always had a love for the presence, the, the presence of America and everything that had to do, like the typical Irish-American, uh, we all had a love affair for America because the way they done things big, and that's the way I like to do things. And I, I said, this is incredible to myself. So as he was coming down the street and I was going towards him, they were walking me towards him. Here I am in the middle of New of not I was going to say New York, Dundalk. Uh, and here I am and the president and he puts his hand out and he shakes hands with me. And the first thing he said to me was, I love your bow tie, he said, with American stars and stripes and the hanky with the star and stripes. He said, I, I wouldn't have thought of that one myself. <laughs> I said, he, he really looked at it for a time. And he just loved it. And I said, you're very welcome to County Loud, President, and the friendship that exists between Ireland and uh, the United States, I said. But to get that handshake, when he put his hand out and shook hands with me, and he smiled at the camera, and I have two photographs that I treasure to this day. This, Justin, you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. The CNN Center right now is just beginning to work on this story, obviously calling our sources and trying to figure out exactly what happened, but clearly something relatively devastating happening this morning there. I have great memories of America. But I suppose one of the memories that wasn't great was the terrorist attack in New York. And strangely enough, I was in America that day when the first plane hit after 9 o'clock. I saw the second tower come down, and we were only 15 minutes from this, the scene, and the second tower, you could see the corner of it with the smoke, and holding below, in front of our very eyes... It came down. Just to think, the amount of people that were in that building, in both buildings, I don't know if it was eight or 10,000 people altogether. Most of them got out. But two to 3,000 people didn't get out. And in front of us, all of that was happening. And I said, I'm going down to see what we can do here. Now, one of the people 
person who was with me started in an awful stage. He said, no, we can't. I said, we have to go down. He said, we, we've got, got to, what's happened here is incredible, says I. So we went down, there was reporters on the street interviewing people who was coming from uh, the Twin Towers and they were covered in dust. And they were given their side of the stories, what happened and what they thought and all of that. And you wanted to help. And you? I wanted to help people and I talked to people who was involved. Some of them were traumatised. The thickness of the smoke, even though we were so far away, it was still coming towards us. And I've no doubt that I had some dust on me and anybody that was in the vicinity because it went for miles, uh, um, the, the dust and whatever, that came from the Twin Towers. And there was people all over the place running in all directions and some of them were in an awful state and they were carrying people. I could see them. some people carrying actually people as well and pulling people from the scene. There was buses running here and there and uh, most of them were all full. People trying to get back in their thousands, if you can imagine. My memory of that uh, will never, I'll never forget. Something that's synonymous with Frank is his beloved country cottage. Nestled on the outskirts of Drogheda in Dunor, this cottage has become a historical landmark with both locals and visitors alike. From the minute he laid eyes on it, Frank saw the potential and set about renovating it to the cottage we know today. I had a love affair with it and I said, I'm going to restore this place. And uh, it was in an awful state at the time. Uh, there were several other owners in it um, over the years and uh, it's a couple of hundred years. It's built on the side of the road. It's a traditional farmyard cottage with, with its outbuildings. It no doors or windows at the back of the cottage either. So it was an amazing little place and we opened it in 1982 and t- thousands came out. And from that onwards, the amount of visitors that we had at Frank's County Cottage in the North, uh, and as you said, a landmark, rightly so, and the people of the Nor are very proud of it, and uh, on its way to Newgrange. And it's phenomenal, the amount of visitors we have. We John Hume, Paisley. Um, we had uh, Daniel O'Donnell, who came one night at midnight after being in Drogheda. I had asked him out, would he come out, and he had a cup of tea. And We had people from The Sound of Music, and it was incredible. And anybody ever came... Uh, to to the Franks County College would say this is the highlight of our visit. I just love and live for the cottage, and uh, to this day, um, we try to. We, we have a Cayley House now. We have regular um, gatherings there on bank holidays, and uh, there's music, traditional music, and um, uh, so it, it, there's always something happening at the Bine Valley Cottage. So it's it it is f- famous to say the least in its own right. Sadly, in 2008. Frank's beloved cottage was destroyed in a fire that he says almost broke his spirit. We had a devastating fire in in 2008. Uh, we had a mural of the Battle of the Boyne and somebody threw the um, English colours on the mural, paint, threw paint on it and then set it on fire. And luckily enough, I was away that night. And uh, But it was very saddened when I came back and saw it in ruins, uh, four fire tenders, trying to put the fire out. People in the north was devastated. People in Drogheda was devastated. People uh, that had been to the cottage around the wall were devastated. But um, like the phoenix, we raised from the ashes, and I said, we're not going to lie down. Um, That's enough. Uh, I'd taken a lot out of me, and it took me the best part of eight to ten years um, 
uh, to restore the cottage and bring it back to its former glory. You'd never have thought, looking at it today, there was ever a fire in it. But we actually lost everything at the time. So um, it did take a lot of me, but my determination and uh, willpower to uh, put it back on the map, on the tourist map. It's very much part of the Bine Valley uh, and um, I wanted to be kept that way. Something else that had an impact on Frank's life was his pet, Grumpy the Pig, who lived with Frank at the cottage since she was a baby. I taught the world of Grumpy. She was old, the Ireland's oldest pig and a celebrity and everybody had a photograph taken at the cottage with uh, Grumpy. So, uh, and she, she lived so long uh, and I was saddened the day she was actually died on, on the green and we were buried just inside the gate. The amount of people that would come out with their families uh, to have the photograph taken and see Grumpy, and people fed Grumpy. I wouldn't be there half the time. I could be anywhere or, or halfway around the wall. But uh, she was a poker that had a, had a party with a difference for her 24th birthday party. Uh, they came from everywhere for her, and people brought her out food, and she just absolutely loved her. And she actually sat in the garden. Uh, like, she'd just sit down. Uh, uh, that's the way she used often to sit. She was definitely... You could have made a film on Grumpy. And, I was, uh, you know, she, I was just so saddened when she when she passed on. But she, she was she was recorded as Ireland's oldest pig uh, with the Department of Agriculture. Did you have Grumpy from when she was a baby? Uh, Mick Chew brought the little pig to me and uh, we had a goat. And we had names for them all, Henrietta the Hen... And uh, we had uh, so we had cattle as well uh, and calves. So we had all the animals for the kids at one time. But you know, you're an old ham, as they used to say, Grumpy the pig. She was our favourite. She was the star of the cottage. I never replaced her, as I said. And um, her birthday was held on Christmas Day, and that was um, I think it was uh, what year was it? Nineteen ninety-nine, uh, nineteen ninety-eight. And that was the story of Grumpy. She looks very contented in this picture you have in the yeah, new. I've never seen a pig. She's she's loving cuddling into you there, Frank, in that yeah, picture. Yeah, and that that's in the Daily Mirror. As I said, she made all the English papers and everything because it was a fascinating story, and she's definitely a celebrity. You know. Do you miss we, her? Of course. Yeah, she was part of parcel of the place. You know. One of the biggest achievements in his life was his involvement with the committee responsible for bringing the FLA to Drada. I suppose the FLA was, is probably the biggest festival that's ever happened to Drada, and it means a lot to you. And, I, you know, you were involved, I suppose, from, from the start and even throughout. You've become a kind of, I would call a little a mascot as well for the FLA, especially in, in, oh, in, in sure 2019. Man and <laughs> wanted photographs taken with me. and But I enjoyed it immensely. I have to say I was uh, try, uh, campaigning for probably 15, 20 years for the FLA because I knew Lara Samuraku, who is the main uh, leader of the FLA and uh, the main man, I should say. And I never thought the day we would uh, get the FLA but, um, you know, there was a lot of people involved in getting it when it did come, and I, I want to acknowledge them. Uh, you know, people like Rory Scott and Padraig Cairns, Lola Robson, and Paddy McDonnell and Joel Martin and the Loud County Council, they were absolutely, it was a great team effort, and well done to the volunteers and the council workers and, and so many more who played their part. But could I say that, you know, the FLA will be long remembered. It was the greatest gathering of an, an event in Drogheda, a, a proud history, I should say. And, you know, um, 
that it probably wouldn't be back in our lifetime. That's the sad aspect of it. We will all miss the flaw. Knowing you as I do know you now and how much you love Drogheda, to actually be the mayor of Drogheda when the FLA actually came to Drogheda. And and I met you on the streets of Drogheda only a couple of weeks ago during the FLA, as I'm sure many people did, decked out in your in your finest with, with, with your bear on. How did you feel walking around the town, you know, in, in 2018 as mayor and this year, being a real kind of mascot for Drogheda? How did you feel? It's only something you could dream about. You know, that would actually happen first and foremost, and that you were part of it. So it was a great honour to be part of Flat Cole Naheran, uh, 2018 2019. So it's a memory that lasts forever, and as I said, um, the musicians, dancers, and um, they were absolutely all marvellous. It was two years that we'll never forget. It, it'll go down in history, as I said, as the greatest uh, event ever. I asked Frank if he could sum up his life. What would he say? I feel that I have achieved quite a lot. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I live life to the full. And I didn't need drink or drugs to do that. I didn't need a mobile phone. I don't use a mobile phone. I don't look at television. So I've had a great life. My, the life, my life is about people. It's around people. It's um, visiting countries, getting to know people all around the world. And above all, it's achievement and doing something for my beloved town. So I've been involved in so much, many projects in the town. And I would have loved to have done more for Drada. If we had the money, Drada has the potential to go forward. And real investment in Drada is badly needed. And the big question, how would he like to be remembered? Well, I'd just like to be remembered as somebody that did the best for the town. And I would be happy with that. Um, You know... And I reflect and I remember all those dear and loved ones that were with me in the past, my friends, volunteers, supporters. Uh, when I topped the polls in 1979, I won three seats and won on the county council with over 4,000 votes. Nobody ever won three seats in Ireland before on the Drogheda Corporation. That was a memorable occasion. So I remember those, uh, and I couldn't have done it without the people. You can't do anything without your friends. And so I have a lot of good memories, happy memories, and the achievements, at least I played my part for my native Drogheda. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 